like Eugene Rosenstock, Husey, he predicted this coming out of World War II. He said within a couple of generations, America would be returned to um, to some sort of tribal uh, identity. Americans would be returned to tribal identities because he said Christendom was broken by the world wars that, um, and so the effect is going to take a while. Um, but because the habits of taking our identity in something, you know, large that that's bigger than, than what can be sort of phenomenologically noticed bigger than, um, the sorts of things we look at and say, Oh, we dress the same or we, you know, we have the similar linguistic, you know, we, we have the same accent, you know, those sorts of things are normally what people say, well, you know, when you say, Oh, where are you, who are you, where are you from? You say people, it's the, it's the people that look and sound and eat like them, you know, really uh, that, that you used to choose. Well, Christendom gave us a larger framework. So where are you from? You say, well, Christendom, you know, I'm from, I'm, I'm from, you know, the West of the European. There's a, there's a big identity that the church gives that's over everything. Um, when the church is over everything or sort of has this other, other plane, the spiritual identity that's greater and bigger and, and, uh, everything else fits underneath, then, um, you can have those sorts of large identities. Nationalism was a way of trying to keep a larger identity without Jesus. You know, um, and and so guys like Eugene Rosenstock, Husey, they saw they saw nationalism at, in competition with Christendom, um, as though it was the road out of Christendom. And but he said it's not going to last because without Jesus holding it together that's a temporary the 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 nation as an identity for individuals is a temporary thing um and so you he said so you're going to see the tribalization of identity um and he's right it's been slowly happening but you i mean the more and the longer you go on uh and now we have people profiting off of the tribalization and so they're encouraging it and you know want the want they're profiting off of the rivalry um, between races. They're profiting off of the rivalry between uh, accents. And so they're encouraging it. Uh, but the, the reason that it, that works at all is because the large identities that we, you know, grasped onto have all failed us because they were all created things that we were trying to draw an identity from, which is, which is something that only God is supposed to do, right? So it's an idolatry to try and draw our identity on anything other than our creator. So our ultimate identity, there's all sorts of sub-identities that can fit within uh, an ultimate identity. But when we try and draw our ultimate identity from something created, then we get tribalism. You Do you think then we had nationalism... American nationalism that kind of kicked in after the first world war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man. Eugene Rosenstock, Husey called it the spark, the star spangled crusade. Um, wow. He, he said, he, he said, he, so American nationalism, he, um, he was 
the when Chris because because the World Wars meant there was no more Christendom, right? Christendom was broken. the uh, The back of Christendom was broken, and it and um, and so he said, "Here, here we come now with American nationalism, which is." Uh, an attempt to say, yeah, I get that the rest of the West is gone, but we're still here and we can hold our own. We'll hold ourselves up um, without the, without the rest of the West that we used to depend on. Right. We used, I mean, up until, uh, up until the thirties, we were still, even the Presbyterian church was still um, sending a lot of people to Europe to get, a theological education right because that was great, kind of the problem too though wasn't we sent we were sending people even to germany it was which a huge was, part of the problem <laughs> yep. those yep. german theologians so, screwed us up right and and but we didn't know because the, it was so it was we were existing on the ha- in the habits of christendom and we didn't realize that christendom had been rotting over there mm. uh, the the we there were some people that were starting to sound the alarm um, but, and, and Machen, when he comes back, he, he, so, you know, Bonhoeffer's, uh, try starts trying to sound the alarm. Machen starts trying to sound mm. the alarm. Um, and you know, what's interesting is we think of Bonhoeffer as sort of an evangelical, um, because in comparison to, because he was a believer, right. <laughs> in comparison to evangelicals though, he, he was, um, much more of a modern in the way he thought about knowledge and the way he thought about a lot of things. Um, but he really knew the Lord and he, and when he came and visited America and spent some time amongst the evangelicals here, spent some time amongst the black uh, church here. And he came back to Germany and he said, and that, and he said, we don't realize how far we've slid. Yeah. how far we've fallen because it happened slowly over generations. And so um, he, so he, he did, but then he, because he goes straight into the conflict of world war two, he doesn't have time to basically work through all of the, um, the theological, theological yeah. implications and everything. So he, but he just says, we've got to stand firm knowing that if the church doesn't stand firm now, then there won't be a church in the next generation. Uh, you know, because Hitler, in his plans to rebuild Germany, there were literally no churches. I mean, know, there there just, were no buildings reserved for church in the rebuilt Germany that Hitler had planned. No, that was the church. Germany was the the new. You know, yeah, you yeah. Know, I think I don't know if we've talked about it, but one of the things that gets overlooked, and this is one of the things I try and remember for Black History Month with my kids, is remind them that. Um, a lot of times there is, and it's not all the time, but there is this um, st- way of telling stories of kind of, and, and and not just conservatives do this, but liberals do this too, of kind of like white saviorism inside of the black community. And what I mean by that is, you know, so you have a lot of, um, when the social justice movement starts um, with their nonsense, they they don't know what they're doing. They're putting up a form of white objectivity, and they're saying, "Here's the standard white people have made it, and unless we've reached to that standard, then we're not really human, right?" <laughs> and so you'll find right, right. almost in all of their storytelling, like that's and which is at the end of the day, 
is minimizing the, re- the humanity of black people. And they're doing it trying to find this form of equality. And so when they tell stories, they mess it all up. Right. And, and then you have the same kind of thing that's happened in history where um, every time a, a, a black community is saved, it's always white people. Right. And you have these two things and social justice movement have become exactly like what it is they say they hate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? And so they tell the same stories and I'm sitting here looking like y'all are telling the same stories. But I try to remind my kids like the way that the gospel works is that when the gospel is saturated into any particular group, you will always find the gospel making connections with other groups who are in relationship with covenant. Right. Mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer is a great example of that. So you have people in America, black people in America, who in that time are still coming out of, you know, they're they're basically almost one generation removed from slavery at that point, right? Yeah. Um, and, right. And so you have Bonhoeffer coming over to New York and seeing these people who are building their own churches, building their own towns, doing their own business in the midst of oppression, real oppression, not this fake stuff we be talking about now, <laughs> you know, real oppression where you can't go into stores because of the color of your skin, where you right. can't buy products, right? And he sees that and he's like, whoa. And he sees the church services that happen. He's taken back by the relate. So he's teaching Sunday school in these black churches, right? <laughs> it's Bonhoeffer. Right. And he's having a strong relationship with these people. <laughs> And he takes and records their singing and their music back over to Germany. And he's like, guys, we can we can do this. And the influence of the black church that was anchored in the scriptures then had a massive influence on Bonhoeffer and their resistance in Germany. And that does mm-hmm. that's not something that gets yeah, the, talked about. The singing of the singing of the gospel songs. Yep. Um, was that was how they united to fight Hitler. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was right. And that was and that was how they stayed encouraged while in Hitler's prisons. Yep. Is they would sing those gospel, the American gospel tunes together. And I think a lot of people want to make the connection. I want to point out black and white and I want to point out the gospel from human to human. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was the thing that was right. connecting. And it didn't matter. He saw that these people were having this kind of battle because of the color of their skin and they had the same sort of battles. Right. Regardless of all Germans and yet they're still having the same battle that they're having over here. And he's like, wow, they're not they're successful by being independent. Right. And he's seeing that whole reality and then takes that and uses it. Yeah. And it's it's successful by it's 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 not even just the independence. um, It's the successful by saying, well, we don't need your permission to be that's human. right you're not yeah you, yeah you're not the one that gives us our our definition as humans you're not right? our they're, savior they're right? i yeah they're not our savior their identity is independent of the uh, well it's even independent of their circumstances that's right? right their identity that's what he saw. is rooted in christ and so when he and <clears throat> i mean it's there were there were there were a lot of people in America that thought Hitler was on the right track. Right yeah. Oh time, yeah. Right? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. He he was he was Times Man of the Year, um, and <laughs> and so especially the folks on the left were really excited about everything he was doing. So the um, kind of everybody was. Though. I think it was everybody was. Yeah, but because you think of like. The, the doctor 
um, that ran that that set up the um, set up Germany's gas chambers was the, he he was he wrote in the first Planned Parenthood magazine, right? He so that they were they were putting Hitler's Hitler's doctor, you know, in, in explaining how um, why it's so important to you know keep the races pure and that Planned Parenthood was the one that was publishing his stuff here in America. Right? So um, they because they because she because um, Margaret Sanger wanted wanted to weed the human race of all the brown skinned people. So. Um, you so you have the same sort of ideology growing over here. Uh, it, we just it our our conflict just we wasn't for uh, the you know the same sort of blood and soil. Um, we we didn't have the same claim on soil that the Germans did of you know thousands of years here and that sort of thing, but we had the same ideology, and it really wasn't an era of that ideology became um i mean i think as we go forward in history they'll look back on that era that that era of the 19th century and the early 20th century as the era of the rule of ideologies it was a fight which is the idea that's going to define everything else when you when you and, I just when you talk about ideology, ahead, would, you, would you define ideology? So when you say like it's the fight of ideology, because it, I've been thinking through this, and the thing that's bothered me so much, and I think I have this right, so I want to check it, is the Christian ideological or ideology um, that or conservative ideology that I see right now. And when I think of ide- ideology, I think of um, a certain form of a perfected idea that has no reality to get implemented in the current situation, right? When I think of ideology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideology is ideologues, you know, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's well, it's when you take a particular idea and make it the ground that everything else is judged by. Right. So, um, when, if some, so this is where like, uh, you know, I, I, I think capitalism is a good, thing for example but if when somebody accuses me of being a capitalist what they're saying is that the idea of capitalism or the um the the exchange of capital or the control of capital or something like that everything else is defined according to that right because there's an Uh. ideology of capitalism that i would say well no that's a that's not that's a bad thing the ideology of capitalism says all is capitalism all everything is capital um the and it's the same with uh so um you know marx's one idea is that everything is economic everything is is uh the 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 true value of everything is economic so man mankind is an economic animal and that's what gives him his definition um and that's why you have to control if you control the economy you control mankind or you have to control and it it ends up working out the other way you have to control everything about mankind to control the economy um and so that's why you get such oppressive regimes but it's because an i so an id ideology is what makes it make sense 
to people, you know, to say when, when people say, well, yeah, you know, I, um, the USSR was on to something. I mean, I know they killed a lot of people, but they were on to something with this or with that, you know? Um, and, uh, you think, how can you just say, well, I know they killed millions, but <laughs> well, an ideology is what it takes to, to justify that sort of sin. So when you have a particular idea that everything else is judged according to, um, then, uh, or everything else is centered in, then you have an ideology, right? So Christianity is not an ideology, right? Because we have uh, the triune God at the center of all things, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's not an idea at the center of it's everything that we do. It It's a person. Um, it's, it's one God revealed in three persons, and who um, exists in three persons. And he he is the uh, the defining point of all things revealed in Jesus Christ. So instead uh, uh, of uh, an impersonal idea, you have a personal God. So that's why, um, you know, the, we can say, well, God is unhappy with that thing. You can't say, well, capitalism is, is unhappy with oh, that thing. Capitalism is, yeah, but when you say, well, capitalism will put this right, which people will say, yeah, right? Yeah. Give it time. Capitalism will put it right. You're dealing in ideology at that point. But right? it, um, it, so you're not, is that not a reality? What, but what one is trying to say is that if you give capitalism enough time, the way that people operate inside of that structure, it has a way of fixing itself. Um. The, so it does if God is also keeping things consistent you're and saying, holding us back from ultimate sin. And because you, you know, you look at something like when the first missionaries um, in the modern era got to India, because there were missionaries back in the first century in India. But, but in the, when the missionary movement uh, of the 18th, 19th century, when it reached India, um, India was on an incredibly self-destructive path. Um, he, and the, the two kind of signs or there were really three kind of points where India was in the middle of destroying itself. You had these traveling gods that would, um, that were, traveling around the country and that were requiring uh, suicide, right? suicide gods. And people would run out there. They would get themselves all ramped up and then they would go kill themselves as these, as a, as the God came past the village. Uh, so you had these suicide gods. Then you had um, the, the uh, God of the, that central river um, was, was requiring more and more child sacrifice. So you had more and more children being thrown into the river. And then you had the practice of um, when a man died, the women, the, the, his wife was required to burn herself up. Right. So you had these three central practices in which if they had continued, it would have been the destruction of the Indian people. Right. And the uh, Christian missionaries um said 
okay, it's going to take a while to get these folks all converted, but we should stop these suicidal practices. Um, and so they, they worked to get these suicidal practices made illegal um, because there, there, um, there isn't a, there isn't an invisible hand um, of capitalism that if you just let it go, will stop the self-destructive nature of mankind, of humanity. When it get when when mm. when when a culture when a culture decides to commit suicide, capitalism can't stop it, right? And so there's a suicidal tendency within the human heart um, that can get can get a grip on a culture, um, and can, it, can, can so can the, I add to, can and, I add to that? So. Yeah. So, so that, so in capital, so capitalism can't save us from those sorts of things. Right. So is it, is it the same way that, you know, it's funny cause I think we look, maybe I'm saying this wrong, but maybe we look at the constitution, even like an ideology because we think mm-hmm. that it stands in and of itself by itself. It's sovereign. We treat it as a sovereign. Is that the right. same way? And so that right. we think that the constitution will fix it. But the truth is, and even the, the authors of the Constitution said, unless then we have people who are moral, godly people, there is no help for right. you in this Constitution. And so there's a presupposition in this that says we must first have uh, God, who is author and finisher of all things, operating towards our good because of faithful covenant keepers. And then the operation of capitalism or constitutions can then be worth something because God is blessing right. it. Right. Where we don't think like yeah. that. We think if we can put into place certain it's legalism, we think that we, yeah. if we put yeah. in a place like things in our homes and think not, not to say that you don't have to have those things you do, but we think the things that in and of themselves, Oh man, I'm seeing all this, this is like sacraments and symbolism and, and, and means of grace and yep. all of it. This is all connected because we, yeah. And it's the, di- it's the difference between a mechanistic cosmology and a personal cosmology in which the Holy spirit is present everywhere, active everywhere. Um, and, and holding, holding all things together, um, by the word of his power, you know, that, that Christ is the, uh, is the actual integration point of all things personally, you know, um, and, and so all so all of the ideological movements uh, depend upon a mechanistic understanding. They're void of God of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. So, but and so and so it's as Christians, it's easy to 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 pick you know the more conservative one or pick the one that looks looks right or um, and never and not and then fall into an ideology. Um, the assumptions of an ideology, right? I mean, even right. if we're not ideologues to, to fall into the assumptions of an ideology or because we share a lot of the same cosmological assumptions. And so we, we think we live in a mess mechanistic world. And so when we, um, when we, so we, we look for mechanistic solutions, right? So then we'll come in and we'll say something like, you know what you need? You need capitalism. You put capitalism in right. it and it'll work. And then, but then we have, this is the thing is, it's, we kind of have this either or, and this is where I think the poetry comes in instead of both in, right? So right. You, you got some people who will come and say, well, you just need Jesus. 
And it's like, you just need Jesus. You got Jesus. But then they don't have an outworking of what Jesus does in a society. And they can't lay out like, this is what the gospel does in culture, in your business plannings, in your business dealings, in your covenants with each other. Yeah. You know, and so they forget that actually it's really a forgetting of the second table of the law. They, they bring yeah. the first table, you know, and they're like, well, but then the love for neighbor doesn't exist. What does that look like worked right. out? Well, that's a, like this is one of the things that's been fun working at Lore because we have these corporate meetings where the you've got all of the officers of the corporation together and we're making decisions and somebody will quote a proverb and another person will say, well, you know, but Jesus in this parable says this. And like, we're working out our business plans mm. with open Bibles. Right. Um, and with current studies and with discussions about, you know, um, what's the history of other corporations that are in our same field. Um, the, the, uh, uh, you know, like Marcus and I are both, constant readers of the history of television because we're working in television distribution and so reading the history of television well the reason you can do that though theologically is because god is present and consistent right so you can look at the history of say hbo and say what's the wisdom to learn with the way god consistently works in the world how would it how how has hbo so it's not so there's a mechanistic way to approach history that says here here are here's the the way that that uh these things work and we need to implement um you know (coughs) excuse me implement from uh so this sort of thing because we've seen it happen this way in the past right and this is the way this machine works um and but it's not like you say, well, this it's all about Jesus, so we don't study history. Right. We study history and we say, okay, how has how how has what kind of world has God set up? What kind of world is God guiding? And what's the what's the nature of this place? How do we live well and live wisely in this world that God made and upholds and now is directing by the power of his spirit? What does wisdom look like? Um it it's not a um it's not a plug and chug sort of machine. And this is where, you know, having a sacramental theology that informs everything is, I mean, everyone has a sacramental theology that informs everything. If you have a mechanistic sacramental theology, um, then you're going to, yeah, then you, you end up with a a mech. um, And I think that's what happened is there was a, um, you know, you you had um, uh, the growth of a mechanistic understanding of uh, of the sacraments. The sacraments. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The way God the way God Explain works that. in the world. A growth of a mechanism. Mecha- mechanistic yeah, so in the in, sacramental theology in the high Middle Ages. Um, in the high Middle Ages, you started getting um, al- almost a materialism in the sacramental theology. Right, so the question started to become what, what is this bread and wine made of? Is it made of the body and blood of Christ? Right? So it's a material question that they ask about the bread and the wine and in the, the high medieval Roman Catholic church. And, and then 
it started, it made sense that if it is the material body and blood of Christ, well, what would you do if Jesus stepped into the room? You'd bow down to him. And so they said, well, we, so we bow down to the, to the bread, we bow down to the wine and it makes sense in that system. Um, but it, they're asking material questions of, uh, of rituals and metaphors. So there's a, it's a poetic dullness that has, that takes over um, that and begins to inform the cosmological understanding of, of things. So you mean, you, um, you mean a lack of ability yeah. to be able to see the poetry in the thing. So they miss apply yeah, exactly. what they should do exactly. to the situation. I got you. Exactly. So, um, and the Protestants said, well, no, we, first off we're told not to bow down to any creative thing right mm. so um so when they look around and they see the the bowing down that causes problems for the first and mass. second commandment stuff um, right there yeah right first and second commandment stuff and then they say and where are we getting this particular mechanistic understanding well it turns out that's it's aristotle's cosmology that um me- the mechanistic aspects of his cosmology that they so it's from aristotle's book uh, believe it's called Aristotle's physic mm. or his physics um, that, 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 that they're that the cosmological or meta metaphysical understanding is coming from into um, the supper from right. So, and that book hadn't been available in the early middle ages. It had come in, in, so the African um, scholars in the Muslim African scholars had, uh, had gotten very attached and, and protected Aristotle's works. Uh, and then when uh, we, you started getting exchanges between the universities, the Muslim and Christian universities in uh, the early 1000, you know, in around the turn of the millennium 1000, you started getting exchanges, Christian, Christian professors would go down and study and bring back books and Muslim professors would come up and study and, and then at, at Christian universities and bring back books. It was very, um, there was, uh, some really great scholars and exchange of scholars. Well, one of the things that came up was Aristotle. Aristotle does a really good job of revealing the inconsistencies of Plato's cosmology, right? Uh, Plato's, um, understanding of of the way the universe holds together and then our place in it and, and in particular Plato's definition of knowledge um, which is that we you have to have direct uh, knowledge of a thing you that isn't um, knowledge that is mediated by any any thing else you you your mind has to have direct knowledge of the essence of a thing for it to be called real knowledge in Plato. Aristotle points out that that's impossible. And when he points out the impossibility of it, you start getting the realization in Christendom that that actually is a definition of God's knowledge. So Plato is only calling what God, the kind of knowledge God has, true knowledge. And then he says, unless we have that, you can't call it knowledge. And then he says, and you can get that through philosophy and mathematics and different things. Well, Aristotle points out, actually, there is no unmediated knowledge of a thing. Um, you can have direct knowledge of a thing, but it's all mediated. Uh, and so 
the that's that's a good switch in the right direction away from some of Plato's uh, bad assumptions about knowledge towards a better assumption about knowledge. But Aristotle brings a cosmology with him in which um, the essence and the accidents of a thing are both within the thing itself. Uh, and so, so you end up with the, a mechanistic cosmology that makes it possible for um, Christians in the in the 1400s to have a uh, the, to embrace a mechanistic understanding of the Lord's Supper and to, and then that that leads to some worshiping worshiping of it, which I think brings about the judgment of the Black Plague on Europe and all that. But that's a different question. Um, is it though? Th- what you end up is it though? <laughs> it, is it though? It's not. But I because I, I think that's that's always the question, right? these things have consequences because we have a personal God. Right? They got the supper wrong we, and we, judgment happened. I don't know, bro. I don't think it's that they got the <laughs> supper wrong. It's that they started bowing down, right? It's the, it's the idolatry. <laughs> That's kind of getting it of, wrong. That comes from it. Right. Well, but you have, you have people that are, they're just trying to work out a theological understanding that would never in their, in their imagination, it wouldn't enter into that it to bow down and worship it, right? They're trying to say, okay, well, if Plato's wrong, how do we, how do we conceive of it? Right. Mm. How how do we put together a conception and Aristotle presents a conception and they say, well, here's a conception how, and, and they say, here's a conception of how God, God can, God is working upon us. Cause that's the question that they're, how is it that we ha- are having fellowship with the Lord in the, in the supper? That's they, they know mm-hmm. that they are. And so then they start asking those questions and trying to come up with a conception of fellowship and they end up with a mechanistic conception of fellowship that has to involve physical, uh, physical interaction mm-hmm. for it to be considered real fellowship. And so the, um, and then later they say, well, okay, let's bow down to it then. And I think that the judgment of God comes upon the bowing down to created things in um that uh so i mean it, it, it's you you see this sort of of um you, you know you the the worship of the lord is the heart of a, a uh, of a culture right the the worship of their god yeah. is the heart of the culture it's you it appears to be more dangerous to claim it, historically speaking to claim Christ and then worship created things while claiming that they are Christ than to just worship created things without pretending to be Christian. Right. So, yeah. the, um, so you know, actually that's, that's in terms really of the judgments point. of God in history, that's actually a really good point. Right. So, that's a really yeah. good point, though. I mean, because then, then it's putting the responsibility. It's almost yeah. It's putting the responsibility on God's chosen people to disciple the rest of the nations to be this particular way. And so, if judgment is going to start somewhere, it's going to start with those people, <laughs> right? Who right. Are, have been told and have special revelation of how to act. So then, their duties and responsibilities are higher and greater than the rest of the world. Yeah. So, so if you look at a judgment, like the French revolution, um, you have 
the um the purposefully purposeful choosing of uh the idolatrous aspects of the mass over against the huguenots um and that leads to the french revolution mm. right that leads to the destruction of the royal houses of france when the royal houses of france um t- make a claim well for power's sake we're choosing the mass over um uh, over against the huguenots right whereas before there was room for the huguenots to continue in worship and um the roman catholics to continue in worship and it was a just going to be a question of of let's work on this together until we can um uh, until we can uh come to a conclusion right well when the king says uh, a mass is worth the, the power of france france is worth a mass um you end up with the french revolution so um the destruction of the royal houses of france okay so we've been talking now because god is personal right because so so oh then and which what but then what ends up happening is there's a, a that mechanistic understanding. Um, there are some Protestants that resist it um, and say, no, 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 no. You've got a, the, the mechanistic understanding uh, is wrong, right? It's a spiritual, we live in a spiritual world. That's a, that's the wrong cosmology, the wrong metaphysic. Um, we, uh, and uh, the, the, we know that God fellowships with us that christ himself gives himself fellowships with us in the supper um that christ himself uh is present in baptism um that that is all that that's all true and it's not a physical thing it's a spiritual thing it's by the power of the holy spirit um christ makes himself present and presents himself uh, uh to us to be embraced by faith and then we have real true fellowship and communication uh, um, in the older sense, life together, that, that old communion, you know, communication, um, the, the heart of the words communion and communication are, you have, uh, a, a deep, um, connection between the two. So, uh, and, but what ends up winning out, um, is, a different view of the supper, which says, which agrees on the mechanistic understanding, but says it doesn't happen, right? It, unless, so you've got the Roman Catholics that say, um, unless God is physically, unless Jesus, his body and blood is physically present in the supper, it's not real communion. It's not real. It's, um, it's just a memorial. And they say, therefore, and we know it's not just a memorial. Therefore, Christ must be really present, um, physically present. Uh, in and they have an Aristotelian understanding of how that can work. That the accidents stay the same, but the substance, the essence, changes. Uh, uh, therefore, it is real. Commu- it is real um, communion. But then you've got on the other side, uh, Protestants say, well, no, it's just an ordinance, be- um, unless. Christ is really physically present in the supper. It's not uh, a sacrament. Christ 
cannot be really physically present in the supper because of the, um, his indivisible human nature and that his, that the lack of commingling between his uh, human and divine natures because of the creeds. Therefore, he's not truly present in the supper, and so it's a um, it's a just an ordinance and not a sacrament that that ends up winning out in most of Western Protestantism and on the Roman Catholic side. So they end up with a shared cosmology that leaves the world open to ideal ideology, because now you've got a mechanistic, you got to backfill it. You got to backfill this thing. Something's got to be in charge. Fill it with a new idea. So um, you've got to replace the the continued presence of the Holy Spirit doing the work of Christ, uh, who is the king of wow. the king of this place, right? With um, some other force, and so you get uh, economic force, and so you, and then the 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 laissez faire capitalists debate with the Marxists um, on which economic force is the most powerful, and is there a uh, and Marx is the progressive, meaning he's the post-millennial version of that ideology, and the um, laissez-faire capitalists are the um, are the fundamentalists, maybe amillennial. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fundamentalists. Yeah, they're the they're maybe the the amillennial or the um, pre-millennial version of uh, of it of that ideology, but they're the same ideology just with different eschatologies. Right? Um, and, or you get the um, uh, you get Darwin, who's the biological. Uh, his, his ideology is a biology. Um, you get all of that from the supper. You get all of those things from what I think was a failure to uh, a, a failure of an understanding of the kind of world that the supper tells us we live in. Because you got to have baptism tells us that we live in so the, the kind, covenantal world, the kind of sacrament that you have determines the kind of world that you live in. Right. Did they know? Well, I mean, we don't look at our political, cultural realities that we have now and say, oh, we have the sacraments wrong. Because no, we because we we don't believe we live in an integrated universe anymore, right? We our cosmology tells us that they're not connected. Yeah, you're right. You're right because, because go ahead because because the, they don't touch. Right. Right. Exactly. It's a physics. It's a physics based cosmology. Explain. Yeah. So so you're we, saying that if it's, it's it's gnostic, right? If if um. Mm-hmm. If, Go ahead. I'm I'm still working that out. So so most people's cosmology, um, if you need if you want to change power structures, you've got to run for office, right? Because power because unless you touch the power structure, you can't influence it. Because of the Machiavellian structure that we have right now, because of the Machiavellian power is all in one place. Because it's a Machiavellian universe that yeah that that all there is is matter and power. So. And so this isn't it's not that there wasn't that this that these ideas don't begin to present themselves before uh bef- before the 
um, you know, 1700. It's just that there's, because Machiavelli, you know, he's, he's um, with 15th centuries and 1400s, I believe. And you know, he, so he's presenting these ideas already. They gain no traction um, beca- uh, until there is a cosmology, until the shared cosmology can make, uh, make it so that most people can, have a gut reaction to Machiavellianism that says, yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, um, uh, and the, if there's only matter and power, you can't affect that, the matter over on that other side of the room without going over and, and touching, touching it, physically touching it somehow. Right. So, um, the, the illusion, um, that, or, so the so the interconnectedness of everything um, is has to be physical if it's if there's going to be an interconnectedness. Right? If I'm going to have an effect on the world, it has to I, it has to be. It could, if there it's indirect, no, it's because I influence the thing that influences or something like there that. Is no there's no supernatural reality. There is no supernatural reality right. behind it. Right. And unfortunately, most Christians are naturalists in their cosmology and assumptions and the way they live. So, Jason, is this also why we have a problem with faith and works, too? I mean, I think so. I, I think I think it's because um, it, go the, ahead. it seems like that, you know, when I read the book, um, J. Gresham Machen's What is Faith? It's so simple, but it took a minute, I think, for um, that to kick in. And, and, and it really happened around, well, there's so many areas that happen, but when God says something, the only rational thing to do, the only rational thing to do is to operate in what he says. That's the only rational way to, to live in, in the world. Right. So um, if God says, I'm going to make if, you a great... If, if it's if it's a world made of his words, that's the only one right. I can assume then, exists. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, if it's and, that's and, right because we're assuming something else. If if we do something else, right? And but then, but faith is then believing that, even though the perceived re- reality or world that you live in, you, whatever you think, you don't see, except that you do when you see trees and you see the ground and you see the heavens and you see right. the water and you see yourself. I mean, you can't help it. Right. The, Faith is pretty easy if you understand. Hebrews. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and this is, this is I, I, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in the book of Hebrews when he says, but we see Jesus, right? He mm. says, all we he, so he starts off by saying all things have been put under his feet he said now we look around and we don't see yet all things put under his feet but we see jesus mm. seated at the right hand of the father mm. right so he, he says when you look at jesus can you imagine everything not coming under his feet can you imagine him not the king of kings not the lord of can you imagine him not having all authority in heaven of course you can't not when you see him Right. Um, I mean, this is this is Augustine's definition of regeneration. Uh, His definition of conversion is God opening your eyes to the beauty, majesty, authority, and power of Jesus. Mm. Right. When you see Jesus, 
all everything everything else that you don't yet see happening it so it so influences and shifts your imagination to the point that you can't imagine it happening any other way than Jesus ending up well, it's Lord just, of all things and Jesus having everything under his feet right like it, the, but we see Jesus as but that's that actually is reality seeing Jesus exactly is reality that's the world that really exists that's the real world and everything else is fake false it's it's not real right and so the the way you operate then is in the real world with complete view of Christ so you operate so you know it's it's what caused Abraham to leave right it's it's what he believed God and he operated and so we have this disconnect between operation and belief as if if we operate somehow we're not believing because you know I don't know how I don't see it any other way anymore I don't even know how I saw it any different before because anytime God says something this is what I think you know people really have I mean sorry to go here I'm gonna have to go here but it's one of the perfect examples of um, infant baptism what has been the promise that God has said? And then if you believe what God has said, then you act in a way that grasps, that, that grabs onto that reality and operates in that way. So God has promised your family to a thousand generations to those who believe, right? So then you do family worship. Then you pray with your kids. And then because you're not trying to, hope for something that's not going to happen, you see Christ. That's the reality of the right. situation. And so having faith, and it's so funny, I've 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 I think we were talking about this. I've watched people who hear the promises of God, say that they believe the promises of God, and then when something of the outcome comes out different, what they don't do is doubt their the, the, their faith to believe it what they do is doubt the promises of god they had the faith right, right. <laughs> oh I, just, I, just, I had the faith. but then the reality which one's broken is it the promises of god or is it you which one somebody right. somebody had a fracture well, here it, yeah or we say wait did i did i get it right right so and this is the um john the baptist he sends his <laughs> his disciples and he says did I get it right, Jesus? Because it ain't turning out the way I, I thought. Waiting, yeah, it's not going the way I thought. Did I get it right? Which is a legitimate question. There right. are times because he's a God that raises the dead. There's going to be times when you say, uh, "This grave, this is what you want me to crawl into." Did I get this right? Right. This is, <laughs> yeah. um, but it that's what it comes down to uh, over and over. Is wait, what does God promise? Did I get it right? Okay, how do I? What does it look like to live, to live like that promise is true? Um, you know, that to live to live out of the overflowing love of God by faith, when it looks like you're out, you're outside of it, or you haven't. Um, you know, the, the when it looks like maybe the you've gotten to the edges <laughs> of it, or something like that. And but this is this is where that older the older cosmology that says, you know, what's, where did this, what's going on here? What, what is this place? This place is the overflowing love of God, right? Mm. Why, why do I exist? Because of the overflowing love of God. Can I just um, step back for a second? Quote. 
I, I know you're gonna, yeah. qu- qu- but I gotta say, when we talk about the overflowing love of God, we're talking about the Trinity in eternity past spilling out over itself into creation, right? Like that, we're talking about that kind of overflowing love of God. It can't be contained, right? Like that's, and so out of that overflow, we exist, (laughs) right? Like that's, that's what we're talking about. This is, this is uh, C.S. Lewis Lewis from the four loves. I was just reading this uh, this morning. So God who needs nothing loves into existence, wholly superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing, or should we say seeing? There are no tenses in God. The buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven between the mesial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. Uh, It's that is a different cosmology than Machiavellianism or anything. This is a a cosmology that says, you know, why is this place love? God's love. He it's overflowing to the point that he says, I'm going to create this place where I know that when I go, they're going to beat me and torture me. But that's going to be also the means of salvation, right? That the son um, and the son. Uh, goes to the cross for the joy that's set before him, right? That for the love that he has for the Father, for all of those. Right? It's a, just a different sort of place altogether. Wow, it makes you look the at sort it sort of place and, that and have to deal with it in that type of context. It changes everything. It doesn't. All all the stuff that happens stays the same, but your perspective of all of it shifts <laughs> to see it like, yeah, oh. Right. So then now, as a father who has come home to his home that's out of order, all he sees is this is the kind of world that God has made where I get to go love, and my love overflows into the mess. Right? Right. This is the kind of place where you see politics out of order and and completely insane, and you're like, ooh, love. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And because so because you can go into the you can go into uh, the broken situations with joy in in this kind of world, right? You can't go into broken situations um, with joy in uh, you know if, if in a mechanistic world because if you don't fix it, it it's there's it, it's done. Okay. So, like, I got to talk to you about my New Year's resolutions. Did I tell you about them? The three R's I've been talking I, about. You, them? I don't think you've told me about them in that context. Uh, I went on with and, and even cross politic and um, three R's. One is repentance, recovery, and then remembrance. Those are the three R's that I came up with. Okay, and re- repentance. I think. 
almost like what you what we're just talking about for the last hour that there's some some massive repentance that I think I need to bring into uh to to the to the floor. <laughs> I need to get on my knees because I've I'm not seeing God's world and I'm, more and more we talk the more and more I'm repenting because I'm like man if I would have spent my first 20 so years 30 years on the planet thinking about the world that way I would have reacted so differently to the world and my attitude and my heart would have been filled with more joy and, and more fight and um, ordered of my families and my wife and my, it just would have been, I would have reacted completely different to it. And so there's some repentance that needs to go there, which I'm praising God for because the, you know, the fact that you are repenting means that God is bringing this to you, (laughs) which is like, Oh, thank you, Lord. So I don't have to stay in that situation anymore. So so repentance has been huge and been thinking about that a lot. And then recovery. And this is where I want to talk to you about because, um, recovering rightly ordered loves that is, I think we talk about that we need to have rightly ordered loves, but then what that, how do you get that? How do you, how do you um, reorder your loves? And if you can, I think what we do is we identify loves and then we say, Hey, go love it. Right. And it, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that we're so, so part of in, in what you're talking about and, and how we've been having this conversation, part of what we really need to do is reorder our love to the way that God has made the world. Some of the ways that I've seen that is in the, a love for the, you know, we've talked about this with um, token. Uh, and how Tolkien Tolkien yeah Tolkien how, how he loved hierarchy and yeah and because he loved something he wrote his his piece Lord of the Rings and I'm thinking like I don't know how to love that well I, I know that I should love it I yeah. know that it's there to be loved but then how do you love those your how you rightly place your loves and how do you love those things so that they it comes out of you yeah because hating the wrong thing or because hating something that you should hate gets you into a fight but loving something that you should love gets you into a building project and it makes you a jolly warrior it does yeah and and, and i mean you're not writing something poetry yeah hatred doesn't doesn't get you writing poetry right right Uh, it doesn't get you building up yeah it doesn't have a certain sort of um um belly laugh to it that makes atheists say wait a second i gotta question myself wait a second yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right (laughs) exactly exactly it doesn't and so how where do you start at rightly because this is i feel like if i can get my loves rightly ordered and to the place where i can love them then I'm not as easily reflexive to the world. So right now I've watched secularists do things and pagans and even Republicans do things that really get us reacting. And I think it's, I think it's a good Mm -hmm. thing that we have parents who care about their children's education and the fact that the LGBTQ movement has integrated themselves right inside of the schools and the education system. And they're fighting against that. I'm grateful for that. But then there's a there's a different type of rightly ordered loves that never lends your kids to that type of environment anyway, <laughs> right? right? Well, I th- yeah, and I think that's you know h- hating something um, 
it gets you you know it gets you defensive and and there are things that are worth defending but it doesn't it doesn't make you productive it doesn't get you building and that's and that's where you're you're not saying you're saying i don't want to give i don't want my kids getting that education but that's different than saying here's the education i really want to give my kids right. here's what i love and i want them to love right here here's what is beautiful that i want them to experience because it's beautiful uh, and once they experience the beauty of it then they won't be susceptible to the ugly lies um you know and the yeah we don't we don't have that how <laughs> right do you now, how in do our you, culture as a whole how do you develop that oh, you don't have to have a drink on that huh you might need some bourbon <sighs> yeah well since he warned me that we were going to talk about this i actually yeah. have went uh, i went and got my what is my, that this is the nicene and post nicene fathers right. Okay. This is the church, the church father's set. I think you have the church church father's set, I thought. No. But have I we talked I, about that. No, no. We also have a book list we gotta talk about. I got <laughs> we do. How many books so, did we tell so the so Nicene this, Church Father set? So well, this is volume two of the Nicene and post Nicene Fathers. So there's the it's the big church father set, Philip Shaft. Oh yeah, you've talked it's, about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's expensive. So, and a lot of people buy it. It is expensive, and most people, for most people, it's really expensive wallpaper because right? they put it up there and it they, ne- they never read it. But it's so good, and I hope that that you know I, I've I have bought a lot of sets and then you know want and used them and read them and discovered that a lot of people buy a lot of sets for decorations. But don't do that if you if you get the church fathers. You can literally just grab any volume and read it. Philip Schaff does such a good job of putting together what is important and useful um, for the church. That, um, But this is from On Christian Doctrine. My introduction to St. Augustine, it might have been On Christian Doctrine. It might have also been the Incaridian, um, which is was the book that he wrote for people getting ready for baptism. Um, which is the one that I think I put on our book list for the year. I went back and forth between these two, but in on Christian doctrine, chapter one verse uh, in book one, chapter 27, um, the chapter is called the order of love. It says now he is a man of just and holy life who forms an unprejudiced estimate of things and keeps his affections also under strict control so that he neither loves what he ought not to love, nor fails to love what he ought to love, nor loves that more which ought to be loved less, nor loves that equally which ought to be loved either less or more, nor loves that uh, that less or more which ought to be loved equally. No sinner is to be loved as a sinner, and every man is to be loved as a man for God's sake. And this is where love the sin, hate the sin, uh, love the sin, sinner, hate the sin comes from. It's from this quote from Augustine on Christian Doctrine. Um, uh, but God is to be loved for his own sake. And is God to be loved more than any man? Each man ought to love God more than himself. Likewise, we ought to love another man better than our own bodies because all things are to be loved in reference to God. And another man can have fellowship with us in the enjoyment of God, whereas our body cannot. 
for the body only lives through the soul and it is by the soul that we enjoy God. Um, so that's the 27th chapter of the first book of Augustine's book on, on doctrine. And the first 26 chapters leading up to it are explaining what it is for our affections to be rightly ordered, or our loves to be rightly ordered. And at the center of it, he even mentions it here. He says, God can be loved for his own sake. Everything else has to be loved in reference to God. Right? So uh, everything, you can't love a, a, a turkey sandwich for its own sake. You have to love a turkey sandwich as a gift from God. Right? So, um, and whereas if you loved a turkey sandwich the same way that you love God, you'd be Id- idolizing. I'd, it'd be idolatry. Whereas God, you don't love God for what you, you love God because of who he is and in and of himself and because of what he's done. You love God for his own sake. Everything else has to be loved in relationship to God. And so he, that, so he, that's the center of what it means to order our loves aright is that we love God for his own sake above uh, everything else. And he's using, he's using a kind of moral reasoning that Aristotle develops in, um, the Nicomachean ethics that, that says um, when you uh, what that asks the question, what is this thing for? Um, And so if I'm going to love it, if I'm going to use it rightly, I I have to love it for what it's for. Right. So um, I can, you know, um, so that right there is a, that right there, woo! That can, we can <laughs> flesh that out. I think we took a whole year to try and flesh well, that out last year. I think so, and I and I think that's because that's the question that we don't ask anymore, right? So, um, uh, alcohol is, I think, a really good example, right? If you've got a a glass of wine and you ask yourself, "What is this thing for?" Um, uh, how do I how do I love this glass of wine? Um, the you you have to say well what's it for if i if i just you know pound it as quickly as possible to try and um get drunk then i'm misusing the wine i'm not i'm not actually loving the wine as as a gift from god because that's not what it's for um it it's for uh the the enjoyment of it it's to it is to make the heart happy um but we're told that that drunkenness is not the same thing as that, and, but it's also for fellowship, right? So, um, you know, you can have a, a glass of wine at the end of the day to to relax, and it's a gift from God. Um, but you you haven't yet reached the full uh, use of wine yet because wine is for fellowship, right? So there's another use on top of it to rightly love it. So if you only ever, I remember hearing. Um, a, a number of times from a number of different people that grew up in Christian homes that thought their parents didn't ever drink, but it was because their parents only ever drank in secret um, because they were afraid of the judgment that would come from drinking. And so they end up missing out on one of the central things that wine does, which is it's a, it's a point of fellowship, right? God gave us wine so that we could fellowship with one another, right? As we, 
you know, sit around a bottle of wine and tell stories and, and enjoy one another's company, that wine becomes a means to an end. You know, you, you would pick that up in the sacraments. Communion. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, with, and so when God says, I'm going to have fellowship with you, I'm, um, uh, and he gives us bread and he says, bring bread and wine, right? Let's have fellowship together. Um, the, we, we have learned through the right use of wine, the kind of thing that happens when two people sit down and drink and eat together. I remember, I think I've told this story before, but when my dad died, um, coming up, I think it's 15 years ago. Um, when my dad died, um, you know, uh, we'd lived in the same house my entire life. Everyone from the neighborhood, um, my, my, my dad was not a, a chatty person, but, um, if you're, if, you know, if you're, um, and, and he wasn't handy, he couldn't fix things, but if your water heater went down, my dad was going to be there to help you move it in, move it out, um, stand next to you while you banged on it to try and fix it, um, ride to the hardware store with you, you know, he, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't really, they would, he wouldn't chat with you, but he was there. He was a presence. Um, and my parents and then the parents on the uh, other end of the block were the only two couples that didn't get a divorce um, o- over the course of my growing up. Right. So lots of divorce on the block, but so um, my dad was steady. Right. And over and over people would stop in after my, uh, after the funeral with brownies or cookies or, you know, salads or, and just say, yeah, I, I can't, I know I can't hang out and be with you guys. I wish I could. Here's brownies eat these um, because I wish I could be with you and tell, and they would tell us stories about my dad, you know, his steadiness to the, um, the, the, the time he, he showed up to help, even though he didn't know what he was doing and made it worse. And they appreciated that about him and, you know, um, all those things, they tell stories and bring food because they couldn't be with us, but they wanted to be right. And the food and you'd eat the brownie and have fellowship with them in their absence. But they knew that, that, you know, they were giving themselves in a plate of brownies, um, because they were grieving with us, uh, we know that food works that way. When you go to somebody's house and they feed you, they're not just feeding you. When you have a baby and somebody brings you food, they're not just, they're giving themselves. It's not like, Hey, you're, um, you're the machine that you live in. Your body needs fuel. Um, here's some fuel Mm. and it's a, a pure exchange of energy that they're making sure you have it. You're, they're giving themselves. There's a, deep that God built a world in which many, many things are means of self transfer means of self giving mean where, um, where our self is, is transferable. We, we don't just, you know, we don't give our kids square protein blocks um, every night that no. have all of the things in them, right? We make it, we make a meal. Um, we sit, we enjoy it together because there's a self transfer. There's a giving of self that we, we, is we know involved that. in food. Yeah. We know, we know it, it right? We, this is we why experience we got, it. we got comments like, Oh, you put your foot in this. 
Right. That's why we have those kind of comments. <laughs> right. It's like, or it's like, yeah. whose soul did I just taste? You know, this is what we call it soul food, right? We know that there's right. something yep. in it that is a transfer of that person's yeah. of who they are and their and their love. Of who it? they are to you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I I was at a um I was down at there's a, a cool bar here in Spokane where it, it's a bookstore, but then there's a, a false uh, wall in the back where you push open one of the bookcases and there's a hidden bar behind it. I love it. It's a cool, um, cool little bar. And I was in there one um, evening, I was meeting my kids to pick them up. And um, have I told the story before? No, I can't remember. I tell all my stories over and over and got talking with the bartender. Cause it was just him and I in there. And I was just waiting for the meetup point. Um, and we got telling stories and telling jokes and, and, um, and then, and I, I said, well, Hey, you know, um, and he, he was like, well, Hey, can I get you a drink? Right. Because now we're actually in fellowship. We're having a fellow, we're having fellowship. We're enjoying, you know, we're, he's telling me stories and he, you know, when he finds out, um, when he found out that, uh, I'm a writer, he wanted to tell me stories about the bar. Right. He wanted to tell me um, stories about what's wrong with men these days. Right. And the men don't grow up and it become men there. They stay boys and how he feels bad for all these girls that have to put up with the fact that all these boys are in them in here looking for a girl when they are when they are women who need a man. Right. And he's still. But at this point, we're having fellowship and he doesn't feel right about me paying for a drink. It, and I, and I noticed it at the time and I have a sacramental theology that explains what's going on right. and explains why it would be rude. We would be, it would be rude. It would be me denying fellowship, de- denying that we're in fellowship to try and pay for it. Right. Right. He, he's, he says, let me, let me get you a drink. And, and he wanted to make me, uh, you know, um, I, I really like going in and ordering bartender's choice, you know, um, when you when you get are sitting at the bar, right? If you're sitting at a table or whatever, I just order an old fashioned, and that's what I like. But if I if I'm sitting at a bar with a bartender, I I like to order bartender's choice. Make make me something that you love to make. Um. Uh, and he 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 had a drink he wanted to make me, and and then he came around the bar and he sat with me and we drank it. And I, I have a sacramental theology that explains what's going on and exp- and tells me what is the proper way to to um to, to deal with the situation and to know what's going on um uh, and that's we all know that that is what is going on with food and drink we experience it all the time um and i mean this is the problem with with drive throughs I like the convenience of drive-throughs, but then you know everybody eats facing the same direction, not facing each other, and you you're not bringing food to its proper use and end. I mean, one of its uses is sustenance, for sure. Energy, right? Yeah. Sustenance, yeah. yeah. But but it there's a greater another. use, a greater end, right? I mean, this is the problem with Bud Ice, um, is that there's no good way for it to yeah it's not designed for fellowship anymore um so that's man, there's so there's so much just yeah, there's so naturalized or whatever 
there's so much <laughs> I, I want to flesh out in there because everything you said, there's overlaying things that are connected to that was from food and fellowship to church business. You know, as you're talking about food, I'm thinking of the people who um, knew that food had a way of bringing people together um, because they were the kind of people who brought people together, but they knew if they can taste this. I and mean, we were talking about, we talked about this before where you were in a restaurant um, somewhere in the South, I think it was, and this, there was fried chicken or something like that. And you didn't know what to order on the mm -hmm. menu. And you said people from every nationality were in this joint. Yeah. In fella. And, this and guy, every economic, and eco yeah, economic so, stratosphere. Yeah. yeah. We're in this joint. And you were like, I don't know. What to, and the guy leans over and tells you he'll have the, you know, <laughs> he orders for you. Like he's family with you because he, he's, if you're there, it's because you want whatever is good. And, and he's like, well, I know what's good, brother. Let me hook you up. And he knows he's expecting yeah, to have right. some sort of connection with you because of the food that you guys are going to eat together. And he knows it's that right. good that you guys are going to experience the intent of the chef to bring people together through this food. It's not just as right. simple. And it's funny. It, it makes the whole world interconnected when you start thinking about food and not just food. But everything that you make for your neighbor, I was as as you were talking about right. this. I'm like, if this this really is a transformational idea in economics to say, I want to from the outflow of my family and what we are gifted at, I want to make something for somebody else that benefits them in such a way that it unifies them to something, right? Like you know, it's just um, to someone, right? For for that purpose. And all of a sudden you have a full, you have a world operating completely different, you know? Um, and, and, and so, but here's, here's what I want to go back to. Cause I, man, I, I can go down that tra rabbit trail for a minute. So how do you then, so rightly ordering your love around God and the kind of world that he made and the things that he's done. Yeah. Per, take me there. So, cause how do we, how do we really saturate ourselves in that so that it, those things start coming out of us naturally? So you, 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 yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I think this is where, so this is where the reasoning that Augustine uses to get to his conclusion, right? Cause the conclusion is we need to rightly order our loves. Right. Um, but the reasoning that he uses to get there helps us. It is the, is the actually the way to get there um, is to begin working that reasoning out in our lives. And, and that is to, to, you order your loves in terms of what is this thing for? Um, mm. Going back to metaphysics, right? So back, back to metaphysics. How so, do I properly love uh, this thing? God, right. Right. How do I properly? So God, you love him for him, right? You love God for God. There's no use that you put God to, and there's no use that God is put to, right? Um, he, he exists metaphysically apart from the creation uh, and then is the um he is by definition the greatest uh, of all uh beings right so um i mean there's an argument for his existence in that fact um because by definition the the god is by definition the greatest uh, uh of all beings and by definition a being that exists is greater than a being that doesn't exist. So by definition, God must exist, right? I, I don't think, I think that's 
I think you can argue that God exists from his definition uh, in this in this Augustinian setup, right? So if anybody says, "Hey, I need an argument for God's existence," um, I think there's an argument for God's existence in that. But that's totally an aside. Uh, so God can be loved for His own sake. Um, there's no use that you need to put God to. You know, it gave, it gave me the. You gave me the answer, but it was so simple I didn't see it as clearly. In loving God for God, you love everything in its relation to it to its creator. Right? Right, exactly. So so your neighbor, when you when you go to love your neighbor, you don't love your neighbor more than God. That doesn't make any sense. Right. But Not what, without making what your neighbor is God. Your neighbor? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. But what's your neighbor? What's your neighbor for? Well, his he he is the image of God, right? So, uh, it, what Augustine points out is that's why you love a man uh, when you when you love a man you you love him as the image of God, um, and not the sin in him. But that you can look at him and say, well, what's he for? Well, he's imaging God into the world he's imaging God to me, right? So I love him as the image of God. Um, and this is a, a lot of what ends up being called Christian humanism grows out of this understanding that everybody I meet, they are the image of God standing before me. So the way that I would love Christ, if he was before me, I can love my neighbor that way. I can return the love that God has shown to me, that Christ has shown to me, to my neighbor who is made in his image. Uh, so the, so it's, it's an ordering of, so, but, and then, but then like, you know, a, a, a bowl of macaroni and cheese is not the image of God. I don't love it in the same sort of way, but I don't hate it. Right. I'm, I still, you know, I order the, the love that I have for that is a different sort of thing. Um, it's it's a different sort of thing, and so if let's say a person gets between me and and the bowl of mac and cheese that I want, um, if I'm if I have disordered the loves, then I'm going to be cruel to get this person out of the way so I can get to mm. the bowl of mac and cheese that I want um, because I've. And, but if you say, but look, macaroni and cheese is good. Are you telling me I can't love macaroni and cheese? Well, you can't love it more than your neighbor, right? You can't love it more than your kids. You can't. Um, and but we do that all all the time. We we um, disorder our love, and we take something that's good, um, but that is not as good as something else, and we treat it as if it's, as if it's better. Okay. So does that make sense? No, no, no. It's making good sense. It's it's kind of the thing that's rubbing me somewhat about the Christian nationalism stuff is that I see there is an intention to rightly order loves, right? Mm -hmm. But what they're doing, it seems, is rightly ordering their love of their home and their people and their land over against another instead of within each other, right? So yeah, does right. that, yeah. that make sense? Right, where it's a it's a, a a love that it's a rivalry that they're calling love 
or they're they're describing a rivalry and calling it love. So, because right? it's not because I and it's nothing. So patriotism. Um, if if I say, well, yeah, I'm patriotic, I say, oh, so you want to bomb North Korea to smithereens? You say, no, 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 no. That doesn't. That's not what patriotism is. So well, but you know they're our enemy so no i love our i love enemies too right that's part of what god has told me to do is to love my enemies as well i I don't have to hate another people to love my people that's not the way that it works um that's if that's the way an idolatrous love works um that's if um if you put i i think of it like you know, loving God is a box truck that everything else can fit into. If we try to love something else like God, then we have to, uh, then our, then we have a very small box truck that, and not a lot of things fit into it, but love when God's love is at the top, everything else, how about can a separate fit into it and properly ordered a separate truck? <laughs> Right. There's only enough room and one the guy is that's his own separate thing on his own that 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 nothing else fits into that one. But then right. you have well, the world. God is a God is a yeah. Well, because God because God is a different sort of um this is where the you know when Maximus the Confessor says God is not a thing. Right. This is what he's talking about. He's a different sort of being. He is an uncreated being. So loving him actually makes room loving him in that sort of way in and of himself for himself for his own sake that makes that there's room in that to when you put everything else in its proper order to fit to fit the love of everything else well you have the world if you try to love something else in that way yeah you don't have room you you end up having to have a rivalry with other things um What would I write down? When and uh, it's and and this is what is hard about the Christian nationalism thing for me as well, because they were or what I have seen is the Christian nationalists are on a mission, right? Um, and you're with them or you're against them, and so, um when if if somebody so to say what what i have seen in their rhetoric is that if you are not with them then you must hate america or you must hate white people or you must hate um you know their whatever it is that they are identifying as their nation because I don't think that is is even clear at this point. It's an ideology. It's an ism. It's not even really something specific. Um, And, but that's, it's the same sort of way I, you know, when somebody loves their town, if let's like, I love Spokane. And if somebody comes along and they're like, man, I love um, my, I love you, uh, my town over, new orleans yeah i love new orleans and they describe their love of new orleans and i recognize it like oh that's the way i feel about my town um and they say no you can't love your town because it's not new orleans well then they have idolized they're idolizing 
New Orleans, right? If other people's, it's like, if you love your mom and I love my mom and you feel like my love of my mom is a threat to your love of your mom, then you've idolized your mom. <laughs> and that's not, that's not the right way to love uh, your mom. And it's the same Jason, with your city. It's the same with your nation. Jason, <laughs> somebody's mom is better. And that's just the right. fact. I'm yeah. just going to let you know right now. <laughs> Cause if my mama listening she the best, I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> No, but I, I think, agree. Yeah. I agree with that sentiment completely. If my mom is listening, she's the best. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we. You're, you're right. There is when you when you actually have God rightly placed and you understand that reality, you can say those are actually both true. She is absolutely the best. Your mom is absolutely the best. My mom is absolutely the best. And there's a reality to that in a poetic way of understanding that that is absolutely true. And had God wanted there to be super mom that's the best of all, he would have had some sort of design or way to say, okay, best moms of all right here. This is it. That's not how he's gave us moms, right? (laughs) To serve us individually the best possible way that we could be served. And no other mom can serve me and 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 my brothers and sisters better than the one that God gave me. But that's because yeah. God yeah. has set it up that way, you know? And right. there isn't a nation and, that could serve me better than the one that God gave me. Right? God put me in America. Right. The sovereignty of this is sovereignty of God kind of stuff, right? This is God sovereign in his action doing something. It it is. And this is where I but but here's where I think it actually the rubber hits the road. Did you see that? Oh, you sent me the um, the Jonah Hill, um, Eddie Murphy. Yes, movie. yes. Uh, it's, it's basically the the <laughs> guess who's coming to dinner. The new one. You people. You yeah, people. it's yeah, exactly. It's you guess people. who's coming to dinner. You people. It looks. I haven't laughed at a trailer so hard. I'm going to go see time. that. It's really funny. I am too. But I think that that's that's like rubber meets the road stuff. When the when the dad is like, you know. We're big fans of Louis Farrakhan. You know him, and then the mom is like, "Oh, I know him. Oh, I know him. I know what he, I know what he about says the- about the Jews." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like so. It's such a perfect setup, right? It's really, really good. But the um, you uh, you know the, who wrote that, right? Jonah Hill, didn't he? Jonah Hill and the guy no, from I don't know. Black AF. Those two guys. Did he, oh man. <laughs> That's why I'm going like, okay. Makes me want to see it even more. Exactly. Um, I'm glad you made me watch Black AF, but (laughs) not not because I have ever recommended it to anyone. Yeah, I haven't either. As a writer, you got, yeah, that's, you've got to be seen. Um, But the, the, that's a good example. I think where, when you have somebody that says, you know, hey, I love my nation. I love, I, I love, even you know, I love my people, and they get a, a weird definition of what that is or something. It breaks down. It's it, it's the Romeo and Juliet problem. If your son falls for a girl that is not a part of however you have defined your people, and your response is you've turned on us then there's a problem, right? Then you've got an idolatry problem because, well, because even Solomon, who's the wisest man of all, when he says, there are some things I don't understand, six, yay, seven. One of them he lists is the way of a man and a maid, right? The, he says, the, 
what makes a guy and a girl fall for each other completely absolutely mysterious and beyond anything but what the holy spirit can explain um it's it, it's it's a it's a strange mysterious force that crosses boundaries that that crosses oceans boundaries mountains uh valleys um and it's a force that has yet to be thoroughly explained um and you know the the that romeo and juliet's is based on a story that goes all the way back into the ancient world um of a guy and a girl from from competing uh tribes that fall for one another and their it means their love is doomed because the parents can't see the parents have so bought into the the rivalry that it is uh, considered that the rivalry is considered the basis of of the reality of the relationship between the tribes, um, and Christians just should have nothing to do with that, right? So you can you can love your people group, you can love your language group, whatever it is. If you say, "And my kid better not ever marry outside of it," you've turned it into an idol, plain and simple, mm-hmm. um, uh, because because. God, because every, every boundary is built to be crossed, um, period. That's the, um, the, the, because the, it's a, um, I mean, out, out, every phenomenological physical boundary is built to be crossed because it's a covenantal world, right? So this is why, I mean, you, I'm not saying that a Christian should marry a non-Christian because that's a covenantal boundary. That's a real boundary. Every other boundary is an illusion that God set up so he can prove the, uh, the fundamental nature of the covenant, the the, the covenants. The the fact, the fact that you even had to say that if somebody else thought that you meant anything different, doesn't understand the context of the conversation we're even having. Yeah. (laughs) Like yeah, yeah. If, if, if I know, but I know you had to say it because I think in terms, a lot of times of our listeners and I know that they had to say, wait a second, there's a boundary here, but th- the context yeah. in which we're having the conversation isn't outside of covenant realities. That's the only conversation right. we're having. Right. And so that is, that's the, yeah, it's the conversation we've been having the whole time because yeah. that's reality. You know, I was listening to. But you know how this works, right? Because somebody's going to say, yeah. "Here's the here's I'm going to send this to my Christian nationalist friend, and he's going to say, like, what? He's okay with him marrying non Christians because they're in love, right? <laughs> oh, and here's the, I got to say this too because yeah. I, I I fit inside that, of that. Um, if somebody looked from the outside and said, uh, "What is Knox?" They would easily identify me as a Christian nationalist. I fit inside that brand, inside of that group, the way that people look at it. And and I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that in one sense, um, so long as I'm getting a chance to define what we're talking about and what we mean by that. This is why I appreciate some of the guys in the conversation that are trying to do their best job to define it up against what I think Marjorie Taylor Greene means by the idea and what um, Yiannopoulos thinks about the idea and what some of the other people are considering it to be. Um, I appreciate the the conversation that they're trying to have in structuring it. Uh, I just, I don't know if we're going to be able to do that well if we're not starting at the right place. 
And I think that conversation, because right now, here's, here's what I'm finding that people are really trying to do. People have realized that the guards that they had from yesteryear are broken and the definition of Christianity yeah. doesn't exist the way that it used to in America. My point is it wasn't really that good to begin with there where you thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what I think that I think, but I think Eugene Rosenstock Husey put his finger on it coming out of world war two saying, Hey guys, it's gone. Right. It, that's how long it's been gone. The, those cultural definitions of public institutions. I think in America, it's been gone since shortly after the Civil War. Yeah, actually, I think right. I, think, I think you're whatever. <clears throat> man, that's a whole. Oof, but it, but in the the rest of West, the rest of Christendom, um, it took a little bit longer to finally lose its public institutions. Uh, uh, are we? Um, I have to and go ahead. Should I say should I say something really controversial? Go ahead. Why not? Yeah, why not? I think that Edmund Burke put his finger on it when he pointed to America and said allowing slavery to exist puts you outside of Christendom. Mm. I think that's actually why is that controversial? I don't know. Don't you think it's controversial? No, I think <laughs> I don't think that you can, you don't think you you if you, you that you are destroying the second table of the law completely and asking for God's blessing on something. You know, like like this is well what? that's that's what leads to the civil war, I, a part of it. Because if you can't yeah, understand humanity is, is, right, then how do you understand property? How do you understand? But I, right. Well, but I think I, I, I mean, I'm thinking in an official legal situation. Okay. What do you Not mean? just theologically. I, I, I think, I, that don't we, I think those that two we, in the same way, maybe. So, yeah, I, I could see that, but I, but I do think that the, um, that, that decision to say, that, that that was that's the equivalent of leaving the back door open on the submarine absolutely i i don't right. think that's radical that to say though. Takes, yeah and i i i honestly think we had an opportunity um we had we had an opportunity you know 100 years into the country to say hey let's let's lock the submarine and turn the pumps on um and the church Balked. The church wasn't willing to give up its what it thought of as its position of power in the public square. And the reason there is no church in the public square now is because when the church was in the public square and it, the conviction came to that that we're outside of the the legal tradition of Christendom, we're outside of the moral, the moral tradition of Christendom, we're outside of the historic public witness of Christianity by not opposing slavery. Um, we guaranteed that a hundred years later, there would be no church in the public square. Can I, can I, I want to parallel a story real quick and tell on myself and really, okay. really like, get myself in trouble. Okay. Um, 
Knox is not perfect. I don't know if y'all know that. That's a reality, Jason. <laughs> you know me, so you know it's true. But here, so think of everything you just said about this, the the foundation of, of America missing that moment. Okay, hold that right there. When I got married, me and my wife, um, we didn't have kids for the first two years, um, and part of it was I'm, I'm going to tell this part of the story too. When we got married, people in our community, in our family, thought we were getting married because they thought Sharon was pregnant, which is a horrible, yeah. horrible thing to think that I would only marry her because she was pregnant, but not that I loved her and I thought she was beautiful and I wanted her to be my wife. And so they felt like the only way that we would be together if there was some sort of other thing tying us, which when you think about it, it's kind of like, well, good. Okay. You guys, you, you didn't go through the process right the first time, but at least you guys are finishing up and you're finishing strong way to go. That wasn't even a thing. So we intentionally were trying not to get pregnant the first two years so we can like squash those realities. So people could be like, all right, no, I guess they must really love each other. <laughs> we wanted to stop that narrative. But my point in bringing this up was that when Sharon got pregnant, she was working. She's a receptionist for the Minnesota twins. When Sharon got pregnant, she was working, I was working, and we were finally getting financially ahead. And I enjoyed the fact that we had this income of money that was taking care of our debt, bringing us to a new place in life. We were saving. We could do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. And when she got pregnant, Sharon, just like a switch, she's like, I'm not working anymore. I don't want to work anymore. When we have the baby, I want to come home. And in my head, I was thinking, wait, we're going to lose this amount of money that she's making every year. We're not going to be able to have as much money. Maybe her grandma can babysit. When I looked at the price of it, it's like, um, well, that's about the same price as Sharon's full paycheck just to worry about a, right. a daycare. You know, it's the same price. But OK, so how do we work this? And so I wasn't moving on budging on her continuing to work. And she wanted to come home. It was clear for her. I'm supposed to, I want to be home. I want to raise my child. And I'm like, yeah, I want you to too, but we got to we get ahead. And then maybe after two years, we'll be where we need to be at. And then, you know, <clears throat> and I remember I was working at Wretched at this time and I was going to work and I was hearing that whole week towards the end. We were, she's middle of the pregnancy at this point. And the conviction of God came over me about the duties and responsibilities of my wife to her child and to our family and to God. And I just heard sermons after and I'm editing the sermons. I'm producing the show. Yeah. So I'm editing the sermons. I'm hearing them. And then one day it's just struck me like a piano fell on top of me. And I'm in my office crying because I'm fighting the nature that God has designed her for and to be, be so that I could have what it is that I wanted in wealth or in things or goods or cars. I saw the future financially. That's the goal. And because I idolized that and made that what I wanted for our family, get us ahead. We'd be better where we were before. Him. I'm missing out on the blessing that my wife can give to us. That's greater in the raising of my daughter to fear and honor God. And I came home and I was just like, baby, I'm sorry. You, as soon as you as soon as you want to, you're done. You'll come home. You'll raise this kid. You'll you'll we'll, I'll figure it out. Because part of it was, too, is I wasn't trusting God that the way that he made me, I can go and get it. You know, I wasn't right, trusting and, or right. I didn't want to work as hard. Whatever it was, I wasn't seeing that, hey. I could do this. And instead, I was putting the pressure on her to do these things instead of saying, oh, God has made you for this task, designed you. Your body is designed to do the very thing that you want to do. And you're in line with it. And I'm the one that's out of line. I came back and I repented. And I repented. God opened up 
the opportunity to replace her income fully with a job for me. It was amazing, amazing, but I couldn't see it. I didn't, I didn't have faith to believe that God convicted me in the holding chase. I brought that story up to say this. When America got started, your beginning nation, slavery was how you made money. It's how you built a nation. Every nation was built off of it. And the ability not to see that God could build a nation apart from it, just right. being obedient to what God has said. If they would have taken that into more consideration in the beginning and and, believe, and had faith to believe God, you might have would have gotten a, di- a whole nother kind of influx of people that would have come in and still did something and did it greater with unity had they followed through with what they knew to be right and repented, right? Right. And so that's my point. It's like, I know, and this is something too, like repentance, when you are in the middle of a battle and you're not trusting in God, you don't believe that God is who he says he is and how he's made the world. And you're like, I just don't see how we're going to make it. It's, it's very, it, that is constant, the, the challenge. That's the same challenge Abraham had when he went to go up to sacrifice. I don't, I'm going to kill my son, <laughs> right? Right. I, I don't know how I'm going to get another one, but this is what God said to do. I'm going to believe God, right? And I know, I know that God is going to work this out for good in the end. Um, we don't have that kind of mentality towards things. And so then we never, we never see the mighty hand of God. We need to be still, be obedient, trust God, and watch him break things. He's professional at filling them. He will break it, and he will fill it right. and reform it. And matter of fact, he did that in Genesis, and then he did it again with Jesus, right? He broke it, broke Christ, and then now the whole world is made anew from the resurrection. And we got to remember that that type of breaking is how God does things and what God had to do in that right. instance for me was break me. I was the thing that was needed to be broken. And I can tell you, man, I re- every since we've been 17 years now, going on 18 years, I believe, not once, not once has God not provided for us. And Sharon's been home ever since then and has only managed the home. And that blessing has been richer to me than any amount of money that I thought I could have made from her working. You know, and I and I believe right. that the blessings of God would have been overflowing in a lot of ways, it, even greater. I think that God has kept us, and we've had because of the gospel has checked that um, rejection in some ways or lack of obedience, so that now slavery's ended. It wasn't perfect, but God worked it out and and has is moving yeah. us in time and space towards the the end of of all things bowing to Jesus Christ, right? But man, you're going to do it anyway. You might as well do it being obedient. (laughs) Right. 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 Well, and I think, and I, and I do think that even the, even the, the, the end of slavery, it, it removed the church from its public position, but it didn't remove Christians from their influence. That's right. right? So that's right. So there still has been a lot of blessings um, because it's because we always live in a world of layered jurisdictions, there's always the opportunity for God to to give overflowing blessings. Um, it's a world without, made of love, even right? In the midst of, <laughs> yeah, it's a world made of love. So, so I think even being able to look back and say, "Man, we messed that one up," and um, God still used it. it. <laughs> we believe, yeah, God still uses it for good, and we believe in a God that raises the dead. You know, right. that's the whole reason that Abraham could take Isaac. Up is because he knew that God raised the dead. That's what the Hebrews tells us. Um, so it's. I think it's going to be. 
I, I think the next turn is going to be really interesting to see in America because I do think there's a lot of repentance going on, but it's, it doesn't, that doesn't get, that doesn't make the news. Um, you know, that's, what's been interesting about watching, um, the 20, I mean, if you, if you pay attention to the story and you, you, you're, you know, God's always telling the story, the 20 representatives in the house, that's an interesting story. Right. You have McCarthy. I don't know how much you paid attention. I know you don't really you're not engaged in politics at all. You know, zero. zero. <laughs> um, but basically, the Speaker of the House had to get voted in 15 ballots before he became Speaker of the House because there were 20 people on the Republican side in the Freedom Caucus that would not vote for him until there were some concessions made and some things that were changed. And they held up the vote for a couple days until he finally went on the 15th vote in the ballot. And it was some fighting. It was some backroom conversations. And these guys held out yeah. and so that they could make some changes. And I thought about that. I'm like, you know, it was ugly. And people were saying, oh, we can't run the government. And these things are going to be horrible. And I was thinking to myself, 20 people, 20 people. That's all it took to... And and so I don't know what 2023 is going to be. I'm not trying to be like a T.D. Jakes. 2023 is going to be the year. Of, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to say it's inspiring yeah. to start off 2023 knowing that a Gideon type army has the effect on the society that way. That, that was encouraging. If nothing else, I'm like, yeah. I want other small things that we're doing. This is why I'm like rightly ordered loves and understanding that power all isn't all in one place. Rightly ordered loves can have a massive impact on the direction that we go in, in this next year and the next 15 years, the next 20 years when we start creating and building and stop, um, stop being faithless. I see a lot of faithless yeah. uh, moves. In. When I, and and I, I mean, I think also I've seen Christians that have started to realize, oh, I, I've got to move from critic to creator uh-huh. To be, to become who I'm, you know, uh, who God's calling me to be. That I think is a huge sign. You know that this every time the spirit falls on a people, enormous amounts of music and art and poetry and uh, and uh, you know, inspirate in. Um, advances in business and science and all sorts of things come out of the the creativity that the spirit of God inspires. When you look around and see the creativity, you say, "Oh, are we? Is the spirit moving? Is this what's you know that?" Because <laughs> um, it, it doesn't always look the same in every every time in every generation. I, I have um, we do a a how to pray. Um, weekly thing at our at at our house for 20 somethings you know 20 somethings that don't know how to pray and want to learn how to pray they come to our house and we just my wife and i just teach a how to pray sort of it's not really a class it's like we spend some time learning in the psalms and learning how to pray we've been using uh lindsey tollefson's book it's really good um we got it. That's on, that's on the uh, calendar this year. How to pray. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> to we pray. should totally so, do that one. But, 
but one of the uh, young ladies that comes, she does substitute teaching in the junior high, in junior high public school system here. Um, wonderful young lady. And, you know, uh, and she was, but she was saying apathy marks this, the generation that's coming. Mm. The, the, the teenagers, the apathy. So like, there's no other word. And my first thought was, okay. We got them right where we want them. We need some preachers. We need some preachers. <laughs> Lord, raise up some preachers. We know what to do with apathy. The church has known what to do with the apathetic generation before. Um, what? That, this has come through. What? Because right? we don't, maybe we don't have. Preach. Oh, man, you preach Jesus, right? That, uh, if they're passionate about something else, they're harder to get the attention of. You, you it, and so you've got an apathetic generation. They'll sit still if you can get in front of them. They're not they they're not doing anything. They're not going anywhere, right? Um, I think this was the uh, the hippie generation. You mm. you read, I've read a lot of of uh, stuff about the Jesus people um, movement and you know all that. The and every uh, preacher that had any sort of success. They what the, they said was we had an apathetic generation. Why why were why were sex and drugs growing? They were apathetic. They were they they said there is no use for my life. I may as well just do drugs, have sex. What you know that um, and uh, he, all all that we had all that what made the difference was preachers that went to them, preachers that got up off their duff and went to them, and it. it converted in droves um now unfortunately there wasn't at the time there weren't good churches for them to go to yeah they made them and that was the problem right but they are the ones that all of the different reformed um reformed revival the revival of reformed churches all grew uh, in America grew out of the Jesus people movement. Look at Doug right? Wilson. Now we're ready for them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, here in, in our town, we've got um, the, uh, an, a, a bunch of great uh, reformed Baptist churches that uh, reformed Baptist and reformed charismatic churches that all grew out of that Jesus people. movement. Yeah. Yep. There's a bunch of them all over town ready for um, a converted a, a generation of converted converted ap- ex apathetics, you know the um, that wasn't here when um, the the hippie generation all got converted. So, so I I think I look around and say we just got to we just got to get some get preachers that'll go get them, and that these this is what white fields look like. You know, it's just. The, we're ready for the harvest. Just gotta <laughs> um, go. And, I mean, you, know. you just gotta go get them, and I and I think that's always the the difficulty, and it, some of it has to do with the rivalry that the church, and this is the same thing that happened in the '60s, the rivalry that the church began developing f- with, you know, developed a rivalry with the world, you know, and said it's it's us versus them. And started shutting down and locking doors, and but there, it's it's hard to not be encouraged. Um, you know, reading First Great Awakening, um, 
stories, Jesus people stories, Welsh revival stories, um, you know, that it, and as many problems as some of those movements call caused, uh, the movements themselves didn't cause the problem. It's the movement of the spirit happening in eras with cause with such significant cosmological problems um, that cause the problems. But the, uh, I think we're in a fields or white sort of situation. But I don't disagree um, with you, but with more of a broken cosmology than we've ever had before. So that means if that's the case, the spirit moving again, which is, I believe is going to happen and is happening. You're going to have to now, if we're learning anything, make sure that we're drilling down on rightly ordered loves because yeah, exactly. we, you know, we have to drill down on that and on, on the cosmology that we actually are working and operating in so that we are ahead of the type of fallout that comes when people who love God and who want to do something for God don't understand the kind of world that they're in. And that's very easy, that, right. you know, that's easy to do and you get a mess and you have to clean up the mess and come up with all kinds of doctrines and things and go back to the beginnings again. And we know yeah. the process. It's not like we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. We know how it happens. But, I, you know, we're not ready in a lot of ways for that type of structure because we're not, you know, you, you talked about this before. You talked about, it. you know, there's a lot of people who want um, discipleship. And I, I understand that they want somebody to disciple them, but there's no one. There is no one to disciple you. Yeah. It doesn't there's, exist. There's no one there. So you're going to have to buckle down, do the hard work yourself, and then find somebody underneath you that you need to disciple. Right. Right. And you said that. And yeah, I was exactly. like, man, you're dead right about that. Because what we'll still we'll spend our time doing is, man, I wish I had somebody to disciple me. And we'll spend 20 years wishing that instead of actually saying, okay, let me go pour myself into, you know, 16 families or five, one family or one guy, you know, we don't yeah. think about it like that at all, but we need to, I got to ask you before we go one thing, have you thought much about what, I, there's two ways I want to ask you this. Have you thought much about what you want to teach Knox this year or, <laughs> or much about where you kind of want, um, you hope that the impact of what we do here does and what kind of direction you want to, take our conversations. Have you thought about that at all for 2023? Or do you even think of new year's resolutions? What is it? Um, I mean, Aaron, Aaron and I made some new year's resolutions together for, you know, um, what new habits do we want our family to have and some things like that. But I, I mean, I think, I think the, what, what I, I love seeing when people are inspired to create um, you know, when it moves w beyond um, taking in information and come and be becomes like poetry and art and that uh, storytelling and all of that. Um, but but I, I mean, I think I mean literacy yeah. is the thing, right? As yeah. when you move from grammar uh from understanding the grammar of a thing to uh, understanding the the layers of communication that's what i think that's where i think the power is um i mean it, it it's you know, coming to this it, it's like you know you come to the supper the supper 
um, you know, when you come to the supper by faith, God meets us there. And, but, but the long, the, the longer I have communed with the Lord week in and week out and come to the table and the, the more the table means or, or the more, the more meaning the table has not, um, because God keeps adding to it in my experience, but it's the same with poetry and art. And, um, I mean, I just, I just, uh, came back to Macbeth recently and it had been, been a couple years. I think the last time I saw Macbeth was when the, the Apple TV one came out and, and, um, and, there's uh it it and it's like how can this how can this get better each time you know and that's what i want is the is to get people into that mode how does this how do, how do all these things keep getting better each time come back to them over and over the supper gets better each time the um you know the 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 scriptures get better each time you read through them the uh, Shakespeare gets better each time you come to him. And so I think Shakespeare is a good example. Um, you know, the, just went through Henry the fifth and thought, and I'd never, and had never noticed that, that one of the central themes is that, that the church, that every church member is concerned about politics and Henry, and Henry starts concerned about politics, but ends concerned about God. Mm. Right. That, um, and that that he that the the church has bought into um, the that all things are political the way Henry has at the beginning, but by the end Henry has come back around. You know, and I'd, I'd not noticed that the churches the 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 ecclesial the ecclesiastical jibe that Shakespeare makes in the middle of the play. Um, so and that's what that's what I want. I want people to be to see the the western civilizations heritage that they have and enjoy it <laughs> did that make sense that I, no it does I, I, a bit. I'm, I that's where i'm at I'm, i feel like that those things last year's kind of set that up for me i went and got the um five foot bookshelf you know um from harvard harvard's five foot bookshelf and the classics and i'm reading through it and i'm starting to see god's hand sovereignly working through time from the beginning, you know, of literature all the way out to where we currently are. And I'm seeing these things as a blessing and not a curse. I'm seeing these things as um, like in, in, uh, someone, someone has experienced the blessings of God in time and they left a roadmap to say, look, man, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to start from scratch. You know, you can um, start further ahead than where we are. You know, we've talked about that last year with right. being shipwrecked and it's like, man, there's a full blessing that is inside of being literate. And I'm not just meaning understanding what words mean, but understanding how God is using literature, history to help build, develop and expand what he's doing in, in, in the world for the crown rights of King Jesus. Yeah. And 
and to see them and then to see my own family and myself and then to do the things that I that God has said. God says, do this and I want to obey. Right. <laughs> That's faith. That's just, I want to operate that way. And so part of the thing that I'm seeing in that, you know, as we're talking about restoring love, my I want to pound as much as I can this this with this show and this year on loving I talked about it on Whitlock. I talked about it on Cross Politic, the Ninja Turtle moment where Michelangelo comes out and says, "I love being a turtle." You know, yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want there to be a, a massive love because of God for who we are, and love that. Love being a man. Love being a woman. Right. Love being that child. I said on the show, I want my children to look at me and say, "Dad, I love being your son." That's what I. That's, I want to, and I want to do that by showing the beauty of hierarchy so that I have a natural distaste for egalitarianism. I really, I realize that I have a distaste for it because of the, the ugliness that it, that it pops up, but then I don't love the thing that is naturally better and beautiful and bigger. Right. I don't have the same sort of love for it where I'm like, you know, because some, I think because of that, because we don't have those loves for hierarchy, what they do with the those um, egalitarianism does is pulls us off the wall of building. So when you say you want people to build yeah. and to make, it's because they love hierarchy. It was like, ooh, guess what men do? Guess what men do for women? Yeah. Guess what women do? Guess what women do for men? Guess what servants do? You know, all of these different structures, I want there to be a, a type of government and leadership that that starts to separate itself from the federal government so that we have a self-correcting system in our covenants apart from a federalized or a civil magistrate form of governing, right? They don't get to govern everything. They don't get to manage everything. But if you don't have those hierarchical loves in place, then by default, you have to put power all in one place so that they get to control what you do in your privacy. And so I I think if we create those higher order loves, we will create an antidote to the current egalitarian structure and government system that we have right now. And that's what I want to build. And I don't think it takes a lot of people. I think it's. It doesn't. Well, and I, you know, and the, because the hatred of egalitarianism doesn't produce Middle Earth. It's the yeah. love of hierarchy that produces Middle Earth. That's right. So, and, and I'm, I'm reading the Mabinigion, which is the Welsh, uh, the leg, well, the Welsh legends, the legends of, of Wales collected. And it's an ancient collection. And, and over and over, these men, um, it's kind of the one of the roots of chivalry, but these men that have taken vows to protect all women, right? That's what Christianity brought to to the to the UK. The it, it's central to it was this vow that men, as they grew in their faith, they be, they began vowing to protect women, and it's so beautiful. It's so moving over and over, and it you, you end up building a civilization. Because you've got women to protect, right? You love the, and it's the, and it's this love. I mean, it's so ridiculous. It, it makes feminism look so ridiculous, right? It's not where it, because you think when they're like, oh yeah, women used to be so mistreated. 
Right. Like, women used to be protected. They used to be considered the protect the ones that were worth. And now they talk about the knights that take advantage of women and how th- th- that's a real thing and how horrible it was and how evil that evil you have to be if um, you know they they meet this this knight that has uh, women locked up right in his in in his castle and they literally won't even engage with him in words because they're like <laughs> he should die period yeah he's kidnapped women he should die we don't we don't discuss this right like, we don't have conversations right. but they just they pull their lances out and they charge because they found a man that kidnaps women you don't that's not how you we will not women. tolerate this um, yeah we will not tolerate you think that um it's such a but it's the 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 love of that kind of um you uh, where power power of the strong is to protect the weak and that love of hierarchy it produced middle earth the hatred of egalitarianism hasn't produced anything all right so next week man we'll go through our book list 24 books yeah okay we'll put them 24 books let's do it all right bro appreciate you man